Well, turn in your Bibles this morning, if you will, to the book of Revelation, chapter 4, the last book in the Bible. If you've been doing our 100 days through the Bible, uh, you know that we finished on Friday. 100 days from beginning to end, all the major passages of Scripture. And it's been so encouraging to hear the stories of how the Lord has used that in so many people's lives. And so we've been trying to track our preaching along with what you have been reading. And today will be the last day of that. Uh, I wonder if I were to ask you this morning to describe uh, what is the most beautiful uh, scenery of nature that you have ever looked upon. Uh, what would you think about? Uh, give that some thought. What is the most beautiful thing that you have ever seen? I, I think for me it would be the coast of Kenya. Uh, a few years ago had an opportunity on a mission trip to go and stay uh, right there on the Indian Ocean in Kenya, just up on a hill about a hundred yards away from the ocean. And we looked down upon the ocean and there was a beautiful white beach. Uh, there were no other buildings. There was nothing but nature. Uh, as far as you could see, uh, there were some small trees between where I stayed and the beach. And in the tops of the trees, you would see the, the monkeys swing from one branch to the other. The water was perfectly blue. And then just about 100 or 200 yards off the coast, uh, were these uh, small barrier islands about the size of this building. They just sort of jutted up out of the ocean and the waves would break against them. And there were fruit trees on the islands and, and, uh, and, and monkeys. I don't know why that was so fascinating to me, but monkeys swinging back and forth through the fruit trees. And it was, I, I think, no comparison, the most beautiful uh, natural scene I have ever witnessed. Uh, I was able to baptize in that water and saw uh, these people who had uh, chosen to abandon their um, uh, superstitious faiths and embrace what Jesus Christ had done on the cross. And uh, we saw people of all different ages baptized. But one of the most incredible things that I will never forget was the, just the attitude of, of the men who were being baptized. And we saw a number of men pray to receive Christ, older men pray to receive Christ. And even though those men in that tribe lived so close to the ocean, they had never been in the ocean in their entire lives. They had never been in the ocean. They had never been in a swimming pool. They had never had a bath. These people literally had never been in any water. And so these men, when they would get about knee deep and just the sensation, you can imagine if you had never been in water in your entire life, uh, just the sensation when the waves would come and, and you, you, you feel a little bit of that lift and the water pushes you, which would surprise you if the only water you've ever experienced is in a cup or a, uh, in, in raindrops coming down from the sky. And then those men would have such fear that they were going to go deeper in the water, but they had such joy because of what Jesus had done for them that they just marched on and baptized them and they celebrated in that beautiful water. I cannot imagine something more wonderful than that. Yet, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that what God has prepared for us in heaven 
is way, way beyond that. In fact, what God has prepared for us is so wonderful. It is so amazing that nothing we can imagine even compares to what that will be like. The beauty of that, the richness of that, the excitement of seeing that, nothing we could talk about, none of the stories that I could tell or the stories that you were just thinking of, none of that compares to what what God has provided for us in a place called heaven. And so this morning, I want to take some time and show you from Scripture uh, some encouraging words about heaven. Now, this is a hard topic to preach on for a couple of reasons. First is just simply because people have these preconceived ideas of what heaven is like uh, because of uh, movies we've seen or books that we have read. Uh, Some of these crazy books where people die and go to heaven and come back and tell the story. Listen to your pastor. Don't read any of those books. Everything God wants you to know about heaven is in this book. None of those people died and went to heaven and came back and told the story. None of that is true. And so uh, people have these preconceived ideas of what heaven is going to be like. And oftentimes where that differs from what the Bible says, it's hard for a Bible teacher to convince you that this is the truth as opposed to what you have always imagined. Well, I'll tell you another reason why this is a hard assignment this morning is just because of the limits of time. Uh, The Bible has much to say about heaven. We could spend two, three, six Sundays talking about heaven, and maybe one day the Lord will give us liberty just to do that. We'll take a month or two, and and we'll look at every aspect of it where the Bible speaks about heaven, and that'll be an exciting thing if we get to do that. But today, I really just want to whet your appetite. I want to tell you a few things about heaven. I want to teach you how to find out more about heaven from Scripture, and I want to whet your appetite about the most amazing, incomprehensible reward that God has for those who are his. And so there are four questions I want to answer. Uh, And this really is just going to be an information dump. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be very inspirational. I don't have a lot of stories to tell. I'm just going to run through as much information as I can and try to answer these four questions. Why should we focus on heaven? What is the first heaven like? And that'll that'll upset some of you right there, right? If there's a first heaven, there must be a second heaven. What in the world is he talking about? But we'll talk about what is the first heaven like. (coughs) We'll talk about the second heaven. And then finally, we'll talk about how our future ought to impact our present. Uh, We're going to be focused in Revelation 4 and 5 and 6 uh, and then over in Revelation 21 a little bit. So if you just turn there... Uh, We'll get to that passage in a moment. But let's start with the question, why should we even focus on heaven? Why is this a subject? With all of the other problems that we could deal with, you know, how to have stronger marriages and how to overcome sin, how to know peace and joy, why is it, (coughs) pardon me, you're just going to have to bear with a little bit of a cold this morning, Uh, but why is it that we should focus, spend time, invest time talking about heaven? Well, number one, it is commanded. Colossians chapter 3 says, if you have been raised with Christ, that means if you're a Christian, seek the things above where Christ is, where he is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The Bible endorses 
a focus on heaven. We ought to stop and spend significant time studying heaven and knowing about heaven. We should be experts about heaven. The Bible says there's great benefit for us to know all that we can know (coughs) about heaven. The second reason we should focus on heaven is simply that it gives us purpose. When we understand the wonders of heaven in our future, it will give us purpose in our present. Uh, I'll read a quote to you from C.S. Lewis. Uh, You may know that author uh, of a couple of generations ago and uh, from the Chronicles of Narnia, a fiction series that he wrote. But, But he wrote a whole stack of books, Christian books. And one of the things that he said was this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next world. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. C.S. Lewis looked around and he noticed that the people uh, who were most filled with joy, the people who made the biggest impact in this life were those who had their anchor in the next life, who were focused on the next life. We should study heaven, focus on heaven, because it gives us purpose in the present. Number three, it gives us strength. It gives us strength. Uh, I remember when my kids were young and we would go on a long car trip. This was before everybody had a GPS in their pocket. Uh, The number one question that would get asked 714 times an hour was, how many more minutes? How many more minutes? How many more minutes? And it would just drive a dad crazy. How many more minutes? How many more minutes? But you know, I recognize that that is a coping mechanism. It's pretty miserable to sit in the backseat of a car for six or eight hours. And the way to deal with the misery of the backseat is to focus on the destination, is to think it's just, it's just a few more minutes, it's just a few more hours. And if, if you can keep your focus on the destination, it makes the journey bearable. And so we need to focus on heaven so that we will have strength today in difficult times because we know the journey will be worth it. 2 Corinthians 5.1, we know that if our earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. You go through hard times now, know this, it's just a few more minutes. It's just a, a few more minutes and that'll give you strength. Number four, we should focus on heaven because it gives us reason for praise. 1 Peter 1, this is a longer passage, but listen closely. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given to us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading that is kept in heaven for you. We talked a little bit last week about hope. And I told you that hope is something that uh, th- that you do when you're in difficult times. And so you're going through a hardship. Maybe it's a, a medical treatment, or maybe it's a difficult time in your marriage, or maybe it's a difficult time in your family or at work, or, or you're just going through a hardship. And if you will, in the midst of that hardship, instead of putting your focus on the hardship, 
and just belly aching. Look how bad it is. Look how bad I feel. Look how mean people are being to me. Look how unfair this is. If instead of putting your focus on the hardship, you will look to the future. You will look to the day that God will restore your marriage. You will look forward to the day that God is going to rescue you from the, from the illness. If you will look forward to the day that things are going to be different, that's hope. That's the very definition of hope. But you know, some people said last week after the message, Pastor, I just don't see what to focus on. I don't know that this is ever going to end. I don't know if the marriage will ever get better. I don't know if the health will ever improve. Well, perhaps it won't. But I'll tell you something you can focus on. You can focus on heaven. Because if you're a child of God, whether the cancer goes away or not, whether the marriage improves or not, whether the job situation gets better or not, whether people stop treating you unfairly or not, you know this. I have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and God is keeping it for me in heaven. And when I focus there, it gives me reason to praise God in the midst of the hardship. I remember I had uh, was youth minister at a church and God had taken me to another church and shortly after I left we had a, a young person that had been going through difficulty for a while and so it wasn't surprising perhaps uh, but it was stunning uh, he took his life and I remember calling back uh, to talk to his mom and it was one of the most difficult calls I didn't really know what I was going to say I, I knew that she would just be distraught. And, and of course she was, all the pain that would go with being a mom of, of a son who had taken his life. Uh, but I was, I was surprised that in the midst of that, she had joy. And she said, no, there are lots of reasons to be angry, but there are lots of reasons to praise the Lord. And she began to give me a list. And I thought, did I call... Uh, you to help you or did I call you so you could help me and, and I wondered how can this woman be a, a woman filled with praise at such a hard and difficult time uh, well it's it's exactly because of this we we put our focus on the undefiled we put our focus on this uh, this imperishable inheritance that we know one day will be ours that's why we should focus on heaven well, let's get to the next question. Here we get a little bit technical, <coughs> but let's talk about the first heaven. What is the first heaven like? Now you might say, well, first heaven, pastor, I didn't know that there would be a first. I thought there was just a heaven. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, the Bible teaches that when Christians die, they immediately go to heaven. And I can give you a number of verses. Luke 16, 22, uh, one day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. Uh, scripture speaks of this uh, poor man and, and uh, he uh, was, uh, was a Christ follower and he dies and immediately he goes to heaven. <coughs> Luke 23, 43, Jesus says to the, uh, to the, thief on the cross who had uh, put his faith in Christ. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. There's no soul sleep. There's no waiting period. No, today you will be with me in paradise, in heaven. Uh, Philippians 1.23, <coughs> Paul is talking about whether he should live or die, and he, he says he's torn between the two. In fact, the verse says, I am torn between the two, death or life, 
I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. What Paul understands is that if he were to die and he was being persecuted at the time and his life could have been taken from him at any moment, but he had this confidence that if I die, I will immediately be present with the Lord. And so the Bible teaches that when Christians die, they will be with the Lord. But listen, the Bible also talks about a new heaven and a new earth that will be recreated many years from now. Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And so there's an immediate heaven, and there are a lot of words that different Bible teachers use for that, uh, but just to use the biblical word, it's heaven or paradise. There's an immediate heaven, but it also seems that there will be a new heaven, a second heaven. So let's just focus on these one at a time. Let's talk about the first heaven. Now, there may be a lot of similarities. We'll we'll, we'll note those when we get to the second heaven. But let's just focus for a moment on what is the first heaven like. If you were to die today, you would, as a follower of Christ, immediately be with the Lord in heaven. What will that heaven be like? Now, let's turn to Scripture. Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to read a number of verses. You're going to have to follow along quickly. Revelation 4 verse 2 says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. And so John, the one that God is using to write uh, the book of Revelation, uh, has been given this vision. He's been, in fact, taken to heaven, and, and he records what he sees. Verse 3, the one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounding the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on those thrones sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and pearls of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery tortures, torches, pardon me, Uh, We're burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, let's just be honest. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Uh, It's not like, I mean, we're about to renovate our worship center, but this is not our goal, okay? I mean, this is just just weird, and it's going to get weirder as it goes. And there are a couple of of explanations for that. One is, uh, really, they're the same explanation. I'll give it to you twice. One is that... This is so unlike what we're used to. You, you just got to know that, that nothing compares to heaven. Now, when we try to explain what something looks like, just in our regular talking with one another, how do we explain things? Well, we explain things by comparing them to other things. Uh, if I were to um, explain to you what a whale looks like, let's say I went on a I was on a boat and I saw a sperm whale and uh, you said, well, what, what was it like? I might say, well, it was like a fish, but it was like a house. And that communicates to you, right? But how did I explain what a sperm whale looked like? I compared it to two things that you already know. It's sort of like a fish. It's in water, it's slippery, and you know, I don't know a lot about fish, but it's sort of like a fish and it's sort of like a house. It's big, it's gigantic. And so I would, I would describe the whale to you by comparing it to things that are even more familiar to you. If you were to ask me to describe 
um, the Superdome. And I know they've rebuilt it, so I don't know if it still looks like it used to. But that iconic uh, stadium in New Orleans, does it still look like it used to? I don't remember. Uh, But uh, those of us who are older, I mean, you remember the the iconic look of the Superdome. And so if somebody were to ask me to explain what the Superdome looks like or what it at least used to look like, I would say, well, it's like a small mountain with a bald head on it right? And so that describes to you, you might not have seen the Superdome, but you've seen a small mountain and you know what it looks like to have a bald head. You see that every week. And so I I have explained something you weren't familiar with by comparing it to things you are familiar with. Now that presents a problem because nothing that we know compares to heaven. It's hard to explain heaven. If you saw it today, you would struggle to explain it because you can't say it is sort of like something else because it's not like something else. And so this explanation, while it is exactly true, it is an attempt to explain uh, to us something that we cannot really imagine. Look down in verse 8. It says, each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, O Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And so you see here the focus of everything in heaven is the Lord. Uh, Let's look at chapter 5, and I'm I'm skipping around, but you'll see in a moment the purpose. I'm trying to hit some highlights that will allow us to uh, pick out some of the details of heaven. Uh, Verse 11 says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also the living creatures and the elders, and their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, so listen to these people (coughs) who are (coughs) speaking in heaven. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered, the lamb, of course, being Jesus, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then skip down to chapter 6, verse 9. Read one more passage, and I'm going to pull this together for you. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. And so at this point in heaven, um, this, uh, this future point in heaven, Uh, There are under the throne, uh, gathered around the throne, these people who had been killed because of their faith when they lived on earth. And so now they're, they're gathered around the throne. And look what they say, verse 10. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? So they ask a question, Lord, how long is it going to go on before you avenge Uh, the the fact that we have been killed for our faith. Verse 11, so they were each given a white robe and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters. And so people were continuing to be killed and and God says, well, just wait, there are a few more and then I'm going to take care of this. Uh, And then it ends by saying who are going to be killed just as they had been killed. So uh, let's do this. Let me share with you, just from those verses that we've read, eight facts 
about the first heaven. Now, I found 21 facts, uh, but you're, you, know, you want to go to lunch, so I can't share all 21 of them with you. But I want to share eight with you. Uh, some will be obvious, some will be a surprise perhaps. Uh, but in, in doing this, I, I'm going to teach you how to go back and find the other ones. And, and so how to read this kind of literature and, and learn what are the details of heaven. <coughs> so fact number one, the focus in heaven is on God. Uh, that's clear. Uh, as you read about heaven, um, maybe not from some of the books you can buy at the bookstore where people went to heaven and came back, but when you read about heaven uh, in the Bible, uh, John, who went to heaven and came back, that's the only person that tells the story, you clearly see that the focus in heaven is on the Lord. Now, I don't want to take away from the fact that your mama is in heaven. Uh, if your mama has uh, passed away and your mom uh, was a, a Christ follower, if your mom knew Jesus Christ, then your mom is in heaven. And you will see her if you too are a Christ follower one day when you get to heaven. But listen, that will not be the focus of heaven. And when I hear people talk about heaven as this great family reunion, I cringe just a little bit. Now, just a little bit, because there will be a great family reunion in heaven. Please don't send me a letter and say, I can't believe you said my mom is not in heaven. Okay? Your mama is in heaven. Your dog may not be. That's a whole other sermon. Probably shouldn't have said that. But um, your mama's there. Okay? But when you get to heaven, the thing you're going to be most interested in is not going to be your mama. It's going to be the Lord. The most wonderful thing about heaven is the Lord. And you're going to find out when you see your mom that she's more interested in the Lord than she is in seeing you. I mean, it's going to be a great reunion, but the focus is going to be the Lord. I read a story, and it's one of those corny preacher stories, but uh, that's, uh, i got to share one every once in a while, right? So a long time ago when doctors uh, still made uh, house calls, and, uh, you know, with their, with their dogs and they got off their horse and went in the house and, and, and that's the setting of the story. And so a man was on his deathbed and his physician came to see him and, um, the, the dying man mumbled to his doctor, uh, can you tell me what heaven is like? And so the doctor thought and wanted to give a, a thoughtful answer. Uh, and then he heard his dog, the doctor's dog scratching at the front door. And he said to the dying man, I believe heaven is just like that dog scratching on the front door. My dog has no idea what's inside this room. All he knows is that I'm here and he wants to be here with me. He said, that's what heaven is like. He says, I don't know what's going to be in that room that we'll call heaven, but I know who will be there and that'll make it the place that you're going to want to be. The focus is on God. Secondly, people there have some sort of pre-resurrection body. Uh, oftentimes people think that when you get to heaven, you're just this ethereal spirit and you just sort of float around. And, and, and we, we've got, I don't know, from some movie or book we've, we've read, uh, we, we've just got this idea that we're just, we're just sort of ghosts floating around. But when you read this account, you see that people are standing, people are sitting, people are wearing crowns, people are picking things up, people are wearing robes, people are seeing things, hearing things, people are singing, people are talking. They have some sort of physical body. Now, the Bible talks about a resurrection body that they will one day have at a later time, and that would be another sermon. 
but even at this time, even if you were to pass away today, uh, it's, it's clear that there's some sort of physical body in heaven. Uh, oftentimes people think that we're spirits and we've been given a body. But you know, if you go back and read in the Old Testament, that's not how creation happened, right? First, we were a body, and then we were given a spirit. Uh, and, and heaven is not a place for detached spirits. We will have some sort of pre-resurrection body, even in the first heaven. Number three, uh, people there will be who they have always been. Uh, you'll have a history in heaven. Uh, we know that because there were martyrs here in heaven. What's a martyr? Someone who on earth was, was uh, persecuted and executed because of his faith, because of her faith. And when these people went to heaven, they didn't lose their history. They were who they've always been. Uh, when you get to heaven, you'll be able to think back to the times that you uh, went through difficulties, that you prayed and God answered prayers, that you sinned and God gave forgiveness. Sometimes people think you get a fresh start in heaven. Well, in a sense, of course you're forgiven, but if you lost your history in heaven, then you'd just be a new person. You couldn't have a relationship with somebody if you lost your history. You couldn't see your mama if you lost your history because you wouldn't know she was your mom. Uh, the Bible teaches that those who suffer badly on earth will be comforted in the immediate heaven, Luke 16, 25. Uh, we will be there who we have always been. Number four, people there will think, wonder, question, communicate, and learn. Uh, sometimes uh, I'll hear people say that when we get to heaven, we'll know everything. We'll know everything. But in fact, we will not, at least in the beginning. Uh, here in Revelation chapter 6, we see that those in heaven are asking questions uh, of the Lord. They're asking questions and they're, and they're getting answers. They're learning something. So in, in the immediate heaven, intermediate heaven, the first heaven, uh, there will be opportunities to learn, to communicate, to learn, to think, to wonder, and to question. And then number five, people there will have an audience with God and be able to ask questions. Wouldn't that be something, just to be able to ask God a question? We see the evidence in the verses we read that people there have an audience before the Lord. Number six, time passes in heaven. Uh, I've, uh, I've read Christian writers and even heard sermons where people have said, in heaven, time stands still. Uh, but that's not the case because in chapter six, verse 10, uh, they cried out to the Father, how long will we have to wait? Well, they're waiting. That means time is passing. And the Lord replies in verse 11, you're going to have to wait a little longer uh, for what they desired. Time will pass in heaven. Number seven, and we're getting more controversial as we go. Uh, number seven, people there are aware of what is transpiring on earth. Uh, now, we see here that uh, they're asking questions uh, about what, when God will avenge uh, the, uh, the slaughter of these Christians on earth, which tells us that they know that he had not yet done it. They have some insight into what's going on on earth. And we see this a number of places in Scripture. Luke 15, 10, uh, the Bible says, Jesus said, I tell you, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. The Bible says that when somebody chooses to follow Christ as their Savior and Lord, they repent of their sin, that that all of heaven rejoices. Well, how can they do that unless there's some awareness of what's going on on earth? Now, some, uh, some will uh, object to that and say, well, no, pastor, that couldn't be because in heaven, that's a place of perfect joy, 
perfect joy in heaven. Well, you would be right. Heaven is a place of perfect, uncompromised joy. But the joy of heaven is not joy due to ignorance. It's joy due to perspective. I mean, you could be happy because nobody's told you that the building is on fire, right? I mean, I mean some, sometimes people are joyful just because they're ignorant. We will not be joyful in heaven because God keeps things secret from us. We'll be joyful in heaven because we'll know that God has a plan and that God is sovereign and that God is being honored and that God forgives sins and that justice will be accomplished. We'll have God's perspective and so we will have perfect joy um, of course, God knows everything that's happening and it doesn't diminish his joy. The angels know everything that's happening. In fact, Revelation 14.10 says the angels even see the torment of hell, yet their joy is perfect. Uh, the Bible says that uh, Christ grieved for people when he was on the earth. Certainly, he also then would grieve for those people when he is in heaven. And then Revelation 21.4, which introduces us to the second heaven, says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Uh, there will be a sorrow that will be uh, concluded and a peace that will be given uh, to a sorrowful heart in heaven. People there will be aware of what's transpiring on earth. And, and then number eight, people there will pray for people on earth. I told you this got more controversial as it, as it goes, um, but, but we're going to jump off this train in just a moment. But I, I want you to see that um, the Lord, uh, or, or rather the, the martyrs here in Revelation chapter 6, are asking the Lord, the Father, to do something on the earth on behalf of those who are on the earth. Now, what is that except that they're praying? I mean, to ask God for something, that's praying, whether you're doing it from here or doing it from heaven. The definition of praying is when you approach the Lord and speak to him and ask him things. And so they're praying, it meets the definition of praying, and they're praying that God would do something on the earth. They're praying about what's happening upon the earth. Uh, there's evidence here and in other places in the book of Revelation that people there pray for people on the earth. So that's just a little brief overview of the second heaven. If you go and read all of those chapters very closely, you can find many, many more uh, interesting things. Number three, what is the new heaven like? Well, I'll be very quick here. Um, the Bible teaches that the current heaven and the current earth will ultimately be destroyed. Second Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works in it will be disclosed. Uh, Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So the Bible says that the, that the first heaven and the first earth will pass away, but the Bible also teaches in places like Ecclesiastes 1.4 and Psalm 78, 69, uh, that, um, that the world and the heavens will last forever. So how do we reconcile those two things? That they'll be destroyed on one hand, but they'll last forever on others? What we have to understand is that when the Bible talks about something being destroyed, it doesn't mean that something has been annihilated. Um, the Bible says that the world was destroyed in the flood. But did the flood annihilate the earth? No, it just, it rearranged it pretty significantly, but it didn't annihilate it. And so here, when the Bible says the earth is going to be destroyed, it doesn't mean that it's going to be done away with, but that it's going to be changed. And so let me give you a couple of references to that, and then we'll, we'll move on to the sort of the most important part of the message. Uh, the Bible speaks of the restoration of creation. Acts 3 
uh, 20 and 21 says, Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus Christ, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things. Jesus will remain until all things will be restored, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. And if we had time, we'd look also at Romans 8, 19 through 22. Um, we would need, of course, a whole other message to talk about the details of the new heaven and how the new, new heaven will come down to the new earth. Uh, but, but let me just read this. Ezekiel 36, 35. It says, they will say, this land was desolate and has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that once were ruined, desolate, and demolished are now fortified and inhabited. And so I don't think it's much of a stretch to say when there is a new heaven and a new earth, you'll be able to come to Nacogdoches. Uh, now it'll look a little different. Uh, you'll come to Nacogdoches and it will be familiar to you, but it will also be like the Garden of Eden. There will be a Nacogdoches in the new heaven. Probably won't be a Lufkin. You know, I just, there's just some things that I'll have to be done away with. But, uh, um, but there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And it says that the, the land will be restored uh, and fortified like the Garden of Eden. So finally, question number four, how should our future impact our present? Number one, it should make us enthusiastic. We ought to get so excited about this. In fact, if, if you are excited, there is a book, and I meant to bring a copy in here and hold it up and let you look at it, but the title is just Heaven. It's by Randy Alcorn. I, I sort of hesitate for you to read the book because you're going to think I just copied my message out of the book. Uh, but uh, Randy Alcorn in this 300 page book probably goes through every Bible verse in, that there is that speaks on heaven and it's just an incredible book if you're interested in these things. But our study of heaven should make us just overwhelmed with enthusiasm. I remember a long time ago I was a youth minister in Mississippi and a friend of mine, also a youth minister in the same city, he had uh, brought uh, somebody in to speak to his youth group. And this individual he brought in was uh, a blind man who did some speaking at different churches. And so he brought him in. But my friend, um, he got sick, my youth minister friend, and he couldn't take him back after the, after the retreat or whatever he did. And so he asked me if I'd take him back. And I said, I, I would. It was a, like a five or six hour drive back to uh, uh, back to where this uh, this gentleman lived, and, and you know, I'd really not ever spent much time around blind people. I just that's just something I'd not thought about and, and not really considered before. I know we have uh, at least two legally blind people in our church. They attend the second service, and we're thankful that uh, that they're here uh, as a part of our family. Uh, but this uh, this man was blind, and I think it was the first time in my life I'd really ever thought about that. So um, we we drove to. Um, uh, he lived on a college campus about five, five hours away. And so I, I'd been to the college campus before, so I knew exactly how to get there. This was before the days of uh, GPSs in everybody's hand. But we get to the college campus, and I said, okay, we're here. Where do you live? And he didn't know exactly. He knew the name of the building, and I'm just making it up because I don't remember, but it was like Emerson Hall, room 402. And that's all he knew. And so we rode around, it was a pretty big college campus, and uh, there were a lot of buildings, and I couldn't find anything that said Emerson Hall, but that's all he knew, Emerson Hall, 402, Emerson Hall, 402. 
And, and I asked, and, and you're going to think I'm just, um, you know, not a very intelligent person when I tell you this, but I, I just asked some really dumb questions then because, I, I mean, we were desperate to find it. We'd been riding around and riding around, and I said, listen, what does it look like? <laughs> is, it, is it brick? Is it stone? Is it stucco? Is it vinyl? He said, I have no idea. I said, is it contemporary? Is it glass? I mean, there are a lot of different kind of buildings. What does it look like? He, he didn't know. And... Um, so we, I said, well, you know, tell me, if you're on the college campus, you know, how would you get to it? And he said, well, of course I would walk. And um, he said, you know, if I, if I leave out of the, the library and I go out the back door, then, and he, you know, he explained how he would go. I'd go down this sidewalk that cuts through this park, and I'd take about 400 steps. And, of course, I'm making all the numbers up. I don't remember. But he said I'd take like 400 steps, and then somewhere in there, there'd be another sidewalk, and I'd turn right, and I'd go this far, and then I'd turn left. And he, he could explain, you know, right down to the number of steps how to go. And so we tried to follow that. But a lot of the sidewalks cut through parks or would, you know, dodge between buildings. And it was so frustrating. We just... We, we just, we couldn't find where he lived. And, and I was frustrated with him. You know, can't you give me some information what this place looks like? You can't, I mean, and after a while, I mean, I quit asking him, but, but I was just frustrated. And, and it dawned on me right then that he, and I guess I should have known this. I guess intellectually I, I, I did, but, but, but he has no idea what his surroundings are like. I mean, here he lives and had lived on this beautiful college campus for years. He didn't, he didn't know what the buildings looked like. He didn't know what, what, whether they're brick or red or blue or green or purple. He didn't know where there are flowers or bushes. He didn't know about the grass, the parking lots. The, the, he didn't know about anything. All he knew was 400 steps this way, 200 steps that way. That he had such a limited knowledge of his surrounding, been blind all of his life. Such a limited, I mean, his understanding of what was around him was just, was so limited. And now I realize that's a pretty good picture of our understanding of the beauty and the wonder of God, the justice, the holiness of God. The, uh, the, the grace and the mercy of God. I mean, I could tell you a little bit about all, all of those vocabulary words. I, you know, I'm a preacher, that's my job, but I, I, you know about all of those words. But I think what we know about God is, is about what my blind friend knew about that campus. We just know not even a, a thimble full of the beauty and the wonder of God. And when we read about heaven, what it should remind us is that there is so much more. And one day, our eyes will be open. One day we'll go to heaven and we will, we will peer into the face of God. We will see the majesty, the power. We will understand grace and mercy. I can't wait for my inheritance. I can't wait. It should make us enthusiastic and then it should make us prepared prepared. Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up treasures in heaven uh, where moth nor rust destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What he says is, we should live for heaven. And this doesn't matter if you're, if you're 11 years old this morning or the, you're, you're the oldest guy in the church. We ought to be living for heaven. 
When we think about career choices, we ought to be living for heaven. We think about how we spend our money. We should be living for heaven. We think about our problems and, you know, I don't have enough, uh, you know, this or that or somebody was unkind to me. We, we, we ought to raise our focus to heaven. And the Bible says when our focus is there, when we invest in that, that our heart will follow. And heaven will become the greatest longing in our life. And heaven will one day become the greatest satisfaction we can ever know. Just your head bowed and eyes closed. Let me say that heaven is not a place that everybody is going to get to go. And you know, we get excited about heaven, but a lot of people get excited and are going there. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. I heard somebody say this a long time ago and it bothered me deeply, but I know it's true. Heaven is not a place for good people and hell a place for bad people. Heaven is a place for prepared people. And hell is a place for those who have not made preparations. Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins. If you will recognize that your sin deserves death and separates you from God, you'll trust what Christ has done for your forgiveness and surrender your life to him then you will be heaven bound. You'll be prepared. An unimaginable, unblemished inheritance will await you. Father, help us to know that heaven's in our future and help us to have an excitement that drives us there. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.